Okay. Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day. Anybody uh, go to the beach this weekend a little bit? Okay. Anybody doing, going to the beach tomorrow? It's supposed to be beautiful. I'm going to the beach tomorrow. I'll see you there. Uh, hey, we're going to be, uh, this is going to be kind of a different message today, um, but the, the one text that we will be kind of zeroing in on toward the end of Scripture, uh, our time together rather, is uh, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And uh, let me say a word of prayer for us, and then we're going to jump in. I'll give you a little sense of where we're going to go today. Father, we want to thank you for this time we have together to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you that you hold all things together, even in our greatest moments of weakness. And so, Lord, meet us here today, whether we are feeling weak or strong, no matter what our week has looked like. Lord, meet us in this place and speak to our hearts. Speak through me today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, today's kind of a little bit different. Partly, I'm sitting. We say, oh, wait, this is different. What's today going to be like? Um, let me frame our time, what we're going to do today, what I'm going to share with you today. Normally, our, our preaching here at Brandywine Valley Church uh, is what we call expositional preaching, which is um, just kind of a fancy, churchy way of saying that we hold high the sufficiency, the authority of Scripture, and we want Scripture to speak to us from these ancient words that speak relevantly into our lives. And so we go through a book of the Bible slowly or maybe a, a section of Scripture slowly to discover that out of the Scriptures to speak into our lives. Today's going to be a little bit different. We're going we're gonna to sort of step away from that just for today because I want to share um, a little bit personally with you some of the things that God taught me, some lessons he taught me while I was on sabbatical this summer uh, if you're, you know, you just kind of catching back from, you're just getting back from the summer. I've been out for eight weeks. Uh, we had a, a, our leadership team did a great job while I was gone, uh, but that was a time of rest, um, intended rest for me. And so I'm going to share some things that God has been teaching me. I think that they're going to be important for you as well. Some of that you'll see as we uh, keep going. Now, some of the things that I'm going to talk about, I enter into this uh, message with a little bit of trepidation because. Um, I'm going to share personally. I'm going to share kind of vulnerably with you. I have a confidence in the Lord for that. Um, but I'm going to do that because I think it's really important for us to, for you all to hear it. And I think it's going to help shape the culture uh, of our church as well. I'm not interested in leading a uh, fake plastic church. I, don't, I hope you're not interested in being part of a fake plastic church you know, one where everybody comes in and they're just plaster on the smile, everything's fine in my life, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. I'm not interested in playing that game of fake it till you make it. Um, I want to be in a place that's real, where people are coming in with real problems, real challenges. One of the things that we say a lot around here is we're more of a hospital for fellow sinners than we are uh, a Christian country club. Um, we say it's okay not to be okay, and we love each other enough not to let each other stay that way, okay? So I want to try to model that for you. I think it's going to serve us well. So with that introduction out of the way, uh, here's our outline together. I want to share three lessons with you that I learned. Uh, one, we're going to, I'll label these as a we lesson. That is a, a, 
a lesson for all of us as a church, a me lesson, something that God was teaching me personally, and then a he lesson, that is a lesson about God. So just if you were looking for a structure, that's going to be where we're going to go. So the first, the we lesson, the lesson for us together is really a lesson on discipleship, uh, a lesson for our church life together. As I embarked on my sabbatical, one of the key questions, one of the key focuses that I was, fo- I was thinking about or wrestling with was the question, how do we develop resilient disciples in an increasingly post-Christian culture? And if you've been around here for a little while, that might be a familiar question to you. It's something that we're wrestling with as a church, as a leadership team. And this is one of the things I wanted to begin wrestling through uh, more earnestly during my time away. And while on uh, my trip to Kenya, Africa, of all places, um, right in the beginning of my sabbatical in mid-June, it's here where God began to impress some of the answers to this question in my heart. I wonder if any of you have a place on the planet, maybe a place that you visited that sort of captures your heart. Any of you have a place that you visited that just speaks to you really interestingly? Uh, maybe a place for you that you feel like maybe in a past life you lived there. Now, I don't believe that that's a thing, okay, just to be really clear, like pastors preach on incarnation. I don't, I don't believe that's true. But there's places that, might, that kind of feel like that. For me, that place is Kenya, Africa, one of those places. There's something about the people, something about the culture, something about the food and the, the colors, the vibrancy there that really uh, I feel very at home there. Uh, this was my second time being there. Uh, I went to go visit um, missionary friends of ours, missionaries that are uh, missionaries here, um, Pastor Steve and Mary Jengo. We support as a church as well. I'll show you a picture of them. Uh, like I said, this was my second visit. My wife, Shannon, and I, about 12 years ago, went on a trip. I'll show you a picture of a young me. I mean, Shannon looks the same, of course. Uh, I have a few more wrinkles here and there. But that was about 12 years ago, an amazing, transformative trip for us. Lord willing, you might recall, um, back right before the pandemic in February and March, we had planned to send a trip, a church trip, to go visit their, their ministry in Kenya. Like the pandemic sort of shut that down or at least put it on hold. Lord willing, uh, we plan on leading a trip in the summer of 2024. So uh, if you're thinking about that, start thinking about it, praying about it now if you'd like to do that. Even as a family, we can do a family trip as well. So more about all that in a moment. So that was like the first half or, or maybe two-thirds of the trip was spent in, involved with their ministry. The last part of the trip was sort of adventure. It was hiking, boating, uh, sightseeing, and all culminating in a three-day Maasai Mara safari. Any of you ever been on a safari before? Zero people at the last service, and a couple, I see a couple of hands. Really amazing, amazing time, uh, exhilarating combination of wonder and fear, because everything in the Maasai Mara can kill you. Everything. The water can kill you, the climate can kill you, the plants can kill you, and definitely the animals can kill you easily. So you kind of live in that awe and wonder and fear at the same time. I'll just show you the best picture I took. Uh, show you one more picture. That's like the best, I, that's on an iPhone. I probably should have 
brought like, an, like a legit camera with me, but that's for my iPhone, that's a cheetah on a termite mound. So that was a, a fun time. Now, I'm not here to tell you or show you slides from my safari adventure. If you want to learn more about that, you want to see pictures, uh, take me out to Mission Barbecue anytime. Uh, I'll, show you, I'll show you some of those pictures. Um, let me talk a little bit about the Jenga's ministry. It's called Camp Brethren Ministries. It's in the foothills of Mount Aburu. You see that in the picture. Um, it's a holistic gospel-centered uh, ministry that has many facets of the ministry, um, including a primary school and high school combined over 500 students, uh, many of whom board, board there. Uh, orphan care ministry, medical clinic, and birthing center where they give birth to somewhere between, uh, help deliver births of somewhere between 70 and 100 babies a year there in the, in the village. Um, they have a feeding program and a budding special needs ministry, just to name some of the things to give you a sense of the scope of what's going on. Uh, 12 years ago when Shannon and I went, uh, the primary school, I'll show you a picture, this is what it looked like. And uh, so that was uh, primary school. Here's what it looks like now, that same school. So amazing uh, what God has just been blessing there. And um, uh, by the way, Pastor Steve and Mary will be back with us. They've been here to visit before. They'll be back with us October 1st. So you'll get to meet them again. They'll be out in the lobby uh, to say hello as well. In the center, though, of all their ministry that they do, really at, the, at their heartbeat, is church planting, church discipleship and evangelism. That's really what they're most passionate about. All the other things sort of flow out of that heart desire of discipleship ministry. Uh, and that's really where the discipleship lesson began to come into my heart. Uh, from ministering alongside of Pastor Steve and Mary in uh, Kasarani, Kenya. And that's a picture of a typical street in Kasarani. It's a very uh, depressed area. Uh, very under-resourced, underdeveloped area, a lot of need um, there in, in this village. And uh, Pastor Steve was going to revitalize the church that's there and, and really help kind of replant this church that had been kind of forgotten about for a while. So this has been his mission for the past six to nine months now. And uh, so what we did each day that we were there in Kasarani is we ministered to people <clears throat> all over the place. We ministered to people on the street. We ministered to little children and played games with them. Uh, you see a, a picture of a, a, a little um, Muslim girl and uh, some other kids in, uh, in the village uh, that we met. Uh, but an, one of the primary focuses was to go home to home, house to house visitation. This picture is a typical picture of a small, very modest one-room home uh, where the grandmother and two of her grandchildren lived, really day-to-day -day sustenance, um, you know, mouth-to-mouth -mouth kind of situation. Um, I'll show you just one more picture of another home that we visited. This gentleman, his son, and his wife, who wasn't in the picture, Pastor Steve and myself, went and visited. And so we would go home-to-home, -home, um, praying and uh, sharing, ministering with members of the church, members of the community who invite us in, um, provide encouragement, um, practical needs that we would take with us then and, and talk to the whole church about maybe how we could meet some of those needs that came our way. And each day that we traveled, Pastor Steve took one or two or three or four men along with him to, to each place that we went. Some new Christian men, some have been Christians for a little while, but people that he was pouring into along the way. 
And as we would walk around, he would ask them about their life, ask them about their marriage or their children or their you know, occupation. They would, uh, as we were coming out of a home, he would talk to them about what they learned in this last experience, what really stuck out to them, what he, they might do differently. And then the next place he would go, he said, okay, now I want you to lead the prayer or I want you to share the, the devotional thought. And then coming out of that home, he would then give them some encouragement about what they did and give them some practical thoughts about how to improve that. And everywhere we went, this was the pattern. And not just with Pastor Steve, but Mary was doing the same thing with the women. Every place we went, the same thing. I'll just show you a picture of some of the men and women uh, that we were traveling with uh, on the streets, uh, home to home, house to house. And really what began to stick with me as I was watching, almost right in front of me, uh, transformation. I was watching these young men and women level up spiritually, Just, just kind of begun to come to new realizations about their own faith, about their own journey, about their own passion, growing right in front of me. And it dawned on me an ancient, profoundly simple truth about discipleship. And it's this, and this is really the lesson on discipleship for us, that discipleship at its best happens at the intersection of mission and relationships. Really simple, right? It's not blowing anybody away probably, but it's incredibly profound and ancient. That discipleship happens at its best in the intersection of mission and relationship. Meaningful life-on-life relationship with people while you're serving, ministering, leading, being stretched in some way, being put in an uncomfortable position potentially, stepping out of your comfort zone, this is really where we level up spiritually. It's not just hearing sermons on a Sunday or going to Christian ed, and those things are good. They're important to be fed the word, but really where that word goes from here to here and then out to your hands is in this place, this intersection of mission and relationships. Now, isn't that the Jesus way? I mean, think about it. Read through the Gospels sometimes. You will see this. Take this principle and run through the New Testament, and you will see this time and time and time again. Jesus, life on life with his disciples, they're watching how he modeled his life. They're watching him, how he prayed. And guess what they ask him? Can you teach us how to pray like you pray? And he taught them the Lord's Prayer that we saw. Or how about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and say, okay, hey, now your turn. You take the baskets. You give it out. I want to disciple you. Let's head on the boat to the other side. And while we do that, I'm going to put you in a very uncomfortable situation out on this storm where you have to trust in me. Life on life in mission. And this is where the disciples leveled up. Isn't this really the heart of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus says, now go and make disciples. We might say, while going, while going on mission, make disciples and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's when I'm with you. My presence is with you as you go on the move, using our language, making disciples. I wonder if you reflect on your life as I reflect on my life. I wonder if you can think back to some of those intersections in your life. Maybe it was on a missions trip where this, you began to level up in your spiritual life. Maybe it was when somebody in your small group, a small group leader, challenged you in an area of your life. 
or said, hey, this week I want you to teach the lesson, even though you didn't know if you were really ready for that. Or somebody saw something in you and said, you know, I want to draw that out of you and I want, I want to help you grow with this gift that God has given you. I know I look back at my life, it's amazing as I track it, how many times I'd level up in these intersections. We want to really work hard as a, as a church family, as a leadership team, to think about what does it look like to fan the flame of this kind of culture here at Brandywine, taking and adapting our resilient discipleship pathway in this direction. And I want to challenge you to seek out places of mission where you're serving, leading, getting uncomfortable somewhere, taking a step of risk in relationship with people who know you and love you. And watch as God begins to level you up in your discipleship as well. That's the first lesson. It's a we lesson for us about discipleship. The second one is a lesson, a me lesson, on weakness. Um, There's a popular song in the early 2000s by Matt Redman called The Heart of Worship. Some of you uh, elder millennials and... uh, Gen Xers and Baby Boomers, some of you might remember that song. The opening line goes like this. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. Remember that song, some of you? That lyric really sums up a large part of my sabbatical. When the music fades, when the ministry fades for a season, all is stripped away, my ministry title, pastor, roles, stripped away, and I simply come before God, not as Pastor Nate, not as Reverend Nate, nobody calls me that, don't you call me that either, (laughs) but just Nate Nate, (laughs) and I just come before the Lord. And the question I was wrestling with, with through that sabbatical season is, who am I when the music fades? Who am I when it's stripped away? Now, I know the answer to this intellectually. But I don't think I really came to grips with this sort of emotionally or spiritually. Who am I? You know, I hadn't had a time off like this in the 16 years that I've been a pastor. And it began to hit me in this extended time off how much of my identity, how much of my sense of worth, And meaning is wrapped up in being a pastor, in being a leader, solving problems, preaching sermons, ministering to people, helping people in their lives. And now I was faced with this reality. Now, the sabbatical is a great gift. And... My wife and my family, I think they would thank you for that gift. I thank you for that gift. It's important to have this time off to rest, to recalibrate. Uh, There's a lot of opportunities my family and I had to spend quality time together, which I'm grateful for. A number of things crossed off the honey-do list, which my wife is uh, very happy about as well. But can I tell you and be honest with you that the sabbatical was really hard for me? It was really hard. If I'm honest, I began in the beginning of that sabbatical time to have a disorientation 
when everything stopped and stopped very suddenly. Sort of a disillusionment a little bit. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? A little bit of maybe mild depression. And as I was beginning to experience this, I don't really have the words for it, but definitely felt like a, an oppression or a spiritual warfare was, was taking place. And uh, as I'm beginning to experience this, on top of that, I sustained uh, a minor injury, but an injury nonetheless, thinking I'm still in my 30s, uh, overexerting myself. And it required me for long stretches of time, maybe two, three, four hours at a time to either sit down or just lay down to not be in pain. And it lasted, it was basically right in the middle of my sabbatical for at least three weeks. And I'm sure you've probably all had the experience when you feel like, like a dog pile on you. You know when things sort of pile on and one disappointment after another and you're like, seriously, I mean, how is this even fair? And you begin, maybe you've experienced it, I definitely did, where you begin to get resentful or maybe a little bit anger, angry even toward God. Like, God, seriously? Like, why would you even do this? Like, I, I've been waiting for this sabbatical and, and this is what's going to happen to me? Like, seriously? Don't you know I have a lot to do? It, it felt a little bit cruel even. I wonder if you have ever had the experience where some things that have happened in your life, you say, God, that, that seems a little cruel of you. So that's what I was experiencing. And, and that sort of led to some self-pity. That led to irritability with my family at times. That led to apathy. There were just times, just really honestly, I'm just being just totally honest with you, where I just lack motivation to study or read or pray or do much of anything. And there was those moments I remember just laying on my bed, staring at the ceiling not wanting to do a single thing. And it was in those moments that I began to experience shame. And that voice, that whisper, that I wonder if you're familiar with, that says things like this. Look at you. How pathetic. Don't you, don't you know this was a gift from the church? They're expecting that you're going to come back with all these profound things to say and new lessons and new direction for the church. And look at you. You're wasting this time. You're unfruitful. I mean, what a loser. If anybody in the church saw you like this, they would not want you to be their pastor. Hmm. wonder if any of you recognize that tone, that whisper. Maybe it says something slightly different, but I wonder if you recognize that tone. Can I tell you that's not the tone of Jesus? It's not the tone of Jesus. That's the tone of the enemy. That's the tone of Satan, who the Bible says is the accuser of the, the, brother, the brothers and sisters. Well, let me fast forward a little bit, but by God's grace, I began to heal up, I began to feel better, and slowly but surely, I began to climb out of that place, and I'll tell you in a little bit how I kind of came out of that. But as I was getting to the end of my sabbatical, I was journaling 
Like, man, what, what did I learn in the sabbatical? Like, God, what do you have for me? And it dawned on me that maybe what I would appear to be a waste of my time would appear to be seasons of unfruitfulness, maybe, just maybe, was something that was God-ordained. Maybe God actually intended something good for that. I mean, that sort of sounds like the kind of God that he is, right? So I began to pray, God, what, what is it that you were teaching me in this? And profoundly sort of just hit me like a brick, God wanted to teach me something about weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a word that I like to use to describe myself. Hi, I'm Pastor Nate. I'm weak. No. (laughs) I work out to try not to be weak. I went to Bible college and seminary and read lots of books so that I don't come across weak but capable and strong. I work hard because I want to come across with strength, right? I want to be strong weak. I don't want to be weak. I know like intellectually the idea of weak, but I don't want to describe myself that way. Oh, the Lord was just saying, I'm going to press you in to your own weakness. The music fading, everything stripping away. And quite frankly, it didn't even take much to get me to that place of weakness. Just a little bit of tweak here, a little annoyance there. And there it was. What God was doing is chipping away at my false self. What God was doing was chipping away at my ego. Chipping away and taking the things away that I cling to for a sense of strength and self-assuredness and capability and worth and accomplishment. Good things that can become the thing. And having me come face to face with reality, my true self, that I'm in utter and desperate need of Jesus every moment of my life. He allowed these things to happen so I can get a sense of my complete inability to merit any good apart from him, to come not just from an intellectual standpoint, from a visceral experience, face-to-face with Jesus' words in John 15, 5, that apart from me you can do nothing. And so while journaling about this experience, it was as if God was saying to me, I don't want you just to know about weakness. I want you to know experientially weakness. And I want you to do that also not just for yourself, but I want you to do that because there's a lot of people that you minister to, Nate, who know a thing or two about weakness. And not just for a few days or weeks. But there are many of you that are out here and you say, man, that, that summarizes a season of my life. That voice that you were talking about, man, I know that voice intimately. That dog pile experience, man, yeah, I'm in it. Not feeling like you want to get out of bed in the morning, yeah, that describes where I'm at. And I think God was pressing that upon me, not just so I can learn something, so that I can be a better pastor to you as well. So that was the me lesson, and that kind of leads us right into the final lesson, the he lesson, a lesson about God, specifically a lesson about God's love. See, in the midst of my weakness, God was ultimately teaching me about himself. And it reminds me about what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9 where Paul said this, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan 
to torment me. Now, scholars don't really know exactly what he's talking about. Was it physical? Was it emotional? Was it spiritual? Was it relational? We don't know. But then he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Can I tell you something? I don't really think I ever truly knew what that meant. I think I'm starting to know what Paul was getting at. One of the things that God impressed on me, one layer of this that I experience is the grace, the sufficiency, the power of God in his unconditional love for me in my weakness. See, in my weakness, weakest moments, I experience tangibly, in a way that I can't fully put to words, but I tangibly experience the unconditional love of God for me. I experience the reality that God does not love me any less in my greatest moments of weakness, and he does not love me any more in my greatest moments of accomplishment. His love flows to me through Jesus Christ consistently and constantly in the very same measure that it flows to his son, Jesus Christ. And just take that in, that God loves you as much as he loves his own son. I mean, I wish I could just bottle that up and like inception that right in your heart. I can't. I think it's something you got to, you just got to come to that place with the Lord. But I experience it and, and nothing would, will ever be able to take that away from me. My friend Mark Johnston, he's a pastor at um, the Journey Church in Newark. And he texts me in the beginning of my sabbatical. And he texts me this, this thing that he's praying. He said, I'm praying for your sabbatical, that it's restful, restorative, and clarifying. But more than that, that you experience the Father's love in a deep and abiding and perhaps even kind of raw way. I'm so grateful for friends like that who know exactly how to pray for me. And I bet you some of your prayers sounded very similar. And can I tell you, God answered that in full. And I'm grateful for it. The experience of being unconditionally loved in weakness is one, friend, that I, I want you to experience. It was that very unconditional love that is actually what pulled me out of that place. That gave me the joy, that put me back on solid footing, that restored my passion and my gratitude to God. And it's the same unconditional love that can pull us out of the places that we might find ourselves in as well. And all of this leads right into the Lord's Supper today. You, know, you might say, Nate, well, that's great that you experience this, this feeling, this, I don't know, warm fuzzies in your soul. That's awesome. But how can I really know that the God of the universe loves me? Like, how can I really know Friends, ultimately, the, the love of God, the proof of that, shows up in what the Lord's Supper represents. You know, Jesus himself said that there is no greater love than this, than if one would lay down his life for his friends. Actually, what's interesting, kind of ironic about that statement, is that Jesus didn't just lay down his life for his friends, did he? He laid down his life even for his enemies. From the cross, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
He laid down his life for sinners like you and me out of the depths of his love for us. That's the proof. The proof of his love is the cross. And that's really what the Lord's Supper symbolizes. The body broken for us, given to us as a sacrifice, the blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, that he gave his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice, what the, what we, the phrase that we use, substitution, uh, substitutionary atonement. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. And he did that for you out of his love. Do you know that love? I hope you do. As we come to this communion table today, I want to invite you just to commune with the Lord. Maybe there's something you need to confess. There's unbelief in your heart. There's sin in your heart that you can confess. But maybe it's just asking that you would experience that love of God today. Take a moment, prepare yourself for this time of communion.